listening to Ouija Broads. This is Liz. This is Devin. Hey, Devin, I have a tale of things that come from the sky. But don't worry, it's still not aliens. It's not aliens. To think about. Oh, thank you. Thank you. What else have we talked about that comes from the sky other than aliens? Mm-hmm. Aliens. Um, we have things that are in the sky. Yes. Mysterious, like balloon bombs and yes. Nobuo on his furious run of vengeance. Yes. And Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds. Bat Squatch. Bat Squatch. But this is from outer space. You Bat-squatch. said it wasn't aliens. You fooled me. Mm. I'm telling you the tale of the Port Orford meteorite. Oh, yes, yeah. please. Ring, ringing bells or no? You're just like, oh, yeah. no, I just like meteorites because they make Jason happy. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course they do. He would probably have some insight on this. And if we want to create a sort of super team and go find this, then we definitely should. Because uh, yes. that's, that's the secret. That's <gasps> the, the mystery part of this is... It's never actually what? been found. Anyway, let me back way, way, way oh. up. Oh, yes, Let me please. start at the beginning. A very good place to start. Okay. <laughs> there was this guy. Okay. <laughs> His name was Dr. John Evans. Right up there with some of our other folks is very ungoogleable. <laughs> like John Evans. John Evans, Boston. John Evans, Oregon. Fuck. <laughs> So John Evans was a medical doctor on the East Coast. Okay. But he participated in that great big push out west that was happening throughout the 1800s, right? Manifest Destiny. And yeah. There might be mastodons out there. Yeah. Everybody just go wander around and put white people names on stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, he was involved in several expeditions out in Oregon Territory. Okay. And in this role... Got to be a pretty good amateur geologist. Okay. For for an amateur geologist. Like, for, yeah. It was those days when you could just be like, all right, well, here I am. I, I'm an expert now. I've been here for two weeks. Dude, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I know four types of minerals, and you all better be one of those. Otherwise, I'm just going to reclassify you as one of those four types. Right, like sometimes it was just good enough to be a guy who was there and had a journal and could like write stuff down and bring it back, and they'd be yeah. like, "Excellent, that's more than we knew." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so this guy in 1856 got hired by the Department of the Interior, which was you know they had a lot to do at that point in terms of like, oh, right. here you have some money and go do that. Go do a thing. He had previously collected fossils in Nebraska territory because, you know, this was like a big fossil era. Yeah. They were like, oh, let's just dig everything up and haul it all back and wire it together any old which way (laughs) and call it a day. We're just making dinosaurs up out of all kinds of parts. (laughs) Yeah, that's like the same time as the Bone Wars when there were those two like rival archaeologists that discovered the same dinosaur like seven times between them that's right they would find like a thumb and be like a new one (laughs) got it (laughs) (laughs) yes (sighs) so he was taking the traditional 1800s white dude with a terminal degree approach just sort of wandering along collecting bits and writing down what he saw okay so he got hired by the department of the interior to conduct a reconnaissance mm. of Southwest Oregon. Okay. So he started at Port Orford on July 18th. 
And then he traveled northeast through, oh my god, the worst terrain. You know, rocky and there's no roads. And, yeah. Uh, it's like, it's July in Oregon, so I'm sure Ew. he's getting like sunburned. All this kind of stuff. He gets to the Willamette. Okay. July 31st. And on this two-week trip, he's writing down everything he sees, and he's collecting specimens of what he sees, and he donates them all to the Boston Society of Natural History in 1859. I don't know what took him so long. Presumably, he didn't, like, make it back for a while. Well, yeah. I'm going to guess he just had, like, a big bag of, like, shit I found that one (laughs) summer. And then he came over and handed it to them. It is basically my purse. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> a collection of things yeah, I've like, picked up off the ground in the last three years. <laughs> I may or may not remember the provenience of, but I can give you a good story. The guy at the Boston Society of Natural History was from Harvard, of course. Oh, well. And he was a chemist. His name was Charles Jackson. Everybody there, you could pick one of seven first names back in the day <laughs> and one of about eight last names. And so this guy got Charles Jackson. And mm. he was going through, you know, he was going through the purse. <laughs> he found some fragments. And he said, oh, my God, these are fragments of a palisite which is an extremely, extremely rare type of meteorite. Oh. Now, let's take a sidebar to talk about a palisite. Yeah. It's a rare kind of meteorite that has a lot of iron in it. Is it in any way related to the the Palisades meteor shower? Is that it? Maybe I'm thinking Perseoids, Uh, and I'm just mixing up my fancy penoids. Let me see. They're named after a Prussian zoologist named Peter Simon Pallas. Never mind. So I don't know. Okay. I think he just named it after himself because they showed him a big lump of metal and he's like, that's that's a me. Called it. That's Palisite. Mine. <laughs> well, they tend to be really big. So the one that's, that named them in 1772 that the Peter Pallas saw was um, 1,500 pounds. Jesus. Yeah, and it was one of the examples that they used initially to be like, okay, this actually happens. Because in the 1700s, they didn't really believe in meteorites. They're like, yeah, sure, giant rocks come from outer space. (laughs) Uh But he was able to identify this and flag it such that a guy later was able to say, look, this rock has nothing to do with anything (laughs) about the rocks around it. Like, it's completely different. <laughs> yeah. But there's only been 61 palisites that have fallen to Earth and been identified. Uh, oh, 10 wow. in Antarctica. So, and they're they're scary. So you see, like, a luminous meteor and a huge roar, sometimes like a fireball, or you think, like, a bomb went off. Oh, wow. It can be kind of alarming. Yeah. But they're also very special because they can contain olivine they can have two things that are very valuable they can have a lot of iron okay which is important and they have olivine which when olivine is really good condition it's what we call peridot so it's that like pretty yellow green gem that's my brother's birthstone that's right yeah go august babies you No, wait i thought it was february no my birthstone is february which is amethyst I don't know what I was thinking of. I think you used to have a peridot ring, and that confused me. You're a peridot. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, shit, I guess now it's a compliment. 
So this was very exciting to everybody because they're like, oh my God, it's got like olivine, it's got iron. This is crucial. This would be really valuable. They estimated at the time it would be worth like mm, up to $100 a pound. Okay. It was estimated that it weighed about 22,000 pounds. Holy shit. So having something that was worth like 50 to 100 dollars a pound was very valuable. This would also be the biggest palisite they ever found. Yeah. The biggest ever. So when Jackson, what was his generic ass name? Oh yeah, uh, not Peter Jackson. I got like 18 tabs open, sorry. Mm. Uh, story of my life. Yeah, yeah it is. Do, 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 do. Starts with a C? Do, do, do. Jackson, yeah, Dr. Charles Jackson. So yeah. when the chemist finds this and goes, oh my god, this is a palisite. These are bits off a palisite. He talks to Evans. And Evans is like, oh yeah, so there was this kind of mounded rock this, this, you know, we can imagine, like, the top bit of a meteorite. Okay. A boulder sticking about five feet out of the ground. And that's what I took these off. And that's when they realized how big this damn thing might be. Okay. And this guy, because of his amateur geologist status, didn't know he was looking at palisite. Well, totally. He was just, like, neat rock. <laughs> and... <laughs> He's like, this looks weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put this in my bag right? for later. Yeah. And they are excited and they're thrilled, but they're on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. So they have to come up with an expedition because you couldn't just be like, all right, well, I'll get on Expedia. I'm going to book my ticket out oh, and totally. retrieve this, you know, extremely valuable whatever. They have to make a plan. So they take a couple years. They're trying to put together an expedition for funds. But. The problem is, right as they're getting ready to go, there's a little thing called a civil war oh, yeah. that breaks out on April 12th, 1861. You know, there's the bombardment of Fort Sumter. Yeah. And then on April 13th, 1861, Evans dies. <gasps> oh, Charles. So oh, no, not I Charles. Know. The other one. Your other generic guy. <laughs> John. John. Oh, John. <laughs> yep. So his ass dies. Dead. And this is a problem because the whole reason that he was kicking around there in the first place is it was not a very well mapped area. Oh, God. And all they know is there's this giant, extremely <laughs> valuable meteorite somewhere along his route from Port Orford to Willamette next to a mountain that he called Bald. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, Charles got the news and he's just like, fuck. Oh, no. I know. It's so bad. Oh, man. Like, that is. Well, the good news is, but the bad news. <laughs> That's, that's me telling you, hey, Liz, I parked my car in the Disneyland parking lot. It's silver and next to a light post. <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go get that. Yeah, and then I kick the bucket and I don't even leave you the key. Oh, my God. Yeah. So there's no map. Like, he didn't write a map. He wrote a journal, as they did in those days, you know, Lewis and Clark style. Yeah. So over the years, a lot of people... 
have tried to figure out where the hell this thing was. Okay. They get copies of the journal and they try to retrace the route. Yeah. And, you know, all through the teens and the 20s and the 40s and the 50s, people are like, uh, Bald Mountain. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. This is specifically what he said. And, like, this is worse than, like, Forrest Fenn in his poem. He said it's about 40 miles from Port Orford on top of Bald Mountain. And it's, and it's pretty much buried, you know? Yeah, it's, right? it's like five feet of it that stick up. Yeah, the part so that you could every- see, I chopped off. <laughs> Put it in my purse. Yeah, so people are sitting there going, okay, they're near Port Orford, there's a bald knob. There's a brushy bald mountain. <laughs> or did he just mean a mountain that was bald, right. as in like didn't have a lot of foliage on the top? Right. Fuck. <laughs> So the Smithsonian sent two expeditions, couldn't find it. Okay. Tons of people went looking for this thing. And then comes along Howard Plotkin, who's an actual geologist. The first actual geologist in this story Uh, has shown up. The first actual name, (laughs) Howard Plotkin. They actually tried with that one. This is not a Sim character. (laughs) So... This guy, Plotkin, is a Canadian geologist. Oh, okay. This was in the 90s. So Plotkin was like, this is a fascinating geological mystery and is probably more sexy than most geological mysteries that geologists get to mess with, is my guess. So he analyzes the fragments because they still have them. And he says, oh, dear. These are extraordinarily similar to one of the other palisites that fell in 1820. Okay. The palisite meteorite that fell in the Atacama Desert in Chile was like a huge deal. Okay. And Dr. Evans passed through Panama on his way to Washington. <gasps> no. Where they were selling fragments of that meteorite, of that palisite, as, like, souvenirs. No. So, what Plotkin speculates is that Evans, who consistently would overspend his budget on field work, yeah. made it up. That he no. said that he had that so that they would put together the expedition and send him back out there and let him keep working. And who knows? Maybe he would find something. Like, oh, my gosh. Out. Yeah. So that's a theory, of course. It's just a theory. They found that, okay, the Port Orford sample is really, really similar to what's called – it's called the Imalac Okay, you're right, but the one that fell in in Chile. Mm -hmm. They said these are really, really similar. So you could say this is the same thing. Like, he just, he hoaxed it. Okay. But some people also say that it's because both of them kind of broke up in the atmosphere. And that actually they might be from the same belt or from the same piece, actually. They might be, like, chunks off the same belt whatever yeah. your rights or chunks of i'm not a geologist or a medical doctor <laughs> like you need to be a chemist uh, you're none of the important things to this specific I'm conversation not, my friend i'm not a charles or a john you're neither <laughs> things i don't have a leg to stand on you know how many fucking elizabeth woods there are through history 
<laughs> but that, that was my wonder, too. Would If it was the same parent rock that split off into, say, two pieces, yes. one fell in Oregon, one in Chile, is it the same fucking yes. thing, right? Yeah, or for that matter, the fact that we only have, like, 61 of these, maybe we just don't have a complete picture of how similar or different we would expect them oh, to right. be to each other. Right. Yeah. So in the middle of this big discussion, back in the day, there's actually a miner who says, yes, I have the meteorite because I have... No, you uh, don't. No, you don't. It was a fucking <laughs> boulder. No, you don't. No, well, he says he owns the land that it's on in the Salmon Mountains because uh. he's got a, what they keep calling a nickel claim, and I know what they mean is a mining claim for the mineral or metal nickel, but I just keep thinking he, like, paid a nickel he paid for a it, nickel. You know, like a nickel cigar yeah. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Penny candy. <laughs> yes, and he's like, that's why there's so much nickel where I am, is because of this meteorite no. that fell. I don't know shit <laughs> about meteorites, <laughs> yeah. but no. You don't like his shit. I don't like it. <laughs> No, that's not it. The meteorite didn't touch down and bless the ground with nickel. They're full of iron <laughs> and peridot, you twat. This is not fucking nickel. What? It's not this. No, don't prove me wrong here with your science. Okay, okay. I, I won't. I won't mention anything. No, go um, for the it. The reason why olivine is green is trace amounts oh, of because of nickel. Okay, but that's true. Yeah. Trace amounts, not a mine's worth. Tr- trace amount, jeez, yeah. dude. Yeah, he agreed to send a sample of a rock from his stuff okay. to somebody who investigated it. His name was Bob Harrison. No. Nope. Everybody in here is in the witness protection program. I don't know. <laughs> don't know. Well, then Bob Harrison went on to be the star of Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation. Amazing. <laughs> Mr. Bob Harrison. But somebody... Somebody from the geological survey tested a piece of the rock and said, yeah, this is meteorite rock. Can you send me some more samples? And Bob went, no. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all we know. Like, it was hugely publicized at the time that this guy was like, oh, yeah, I totally have it. And nothing. Told you. Nothing after that. So if you go online, there's a lot of debate. There's people who are like, this is obviously a huge hoax. This is another one of the many, many, many lost treasures in the Northwest, where because it's so spread out, and because traveling it is so hard, and because a lot of the initial reports of stuff were based on such sketchy information, you can look forever. But there's debate about every aspect of this. Like, is the fact that the sample resembles this other palisite proof that it is from that other one? Or is it just proof that palisites can be very similar right. if they're from the same parent rock, which I love as a phrase. I'm using it forever. TM, TM, TM. For the rest of this episode. Yeah, TM, TM. <laughs> Does the fact that Evans occasionally was in financial straits mean that he would go so far as to make a hoax like this? Right. You know, you can't know. Nobody who knew him is around anymore. And, of course, the people who did know him wrote really nice stuff about him. Like, he didn't have a history of being a hoaxer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a that's a big thing to 
to gamble on. Like, it'd oh, be one yeah. thing if you were just like, I saw this thing, and and drop a couple hints to make somebody who knows what they're saying, knows what they're doing, go, oh my god, that could be a palisade, yeah. go back and check it out. But to actually bring some bits is an interesting move. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, another reason why it's very hard to find this thing is at the time, he didn't go like, day five, saw meteorite. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, like, another interesting rock he picks up as he goes along. Right. And also, there's a lot of landslides in that area. You know how it is oh, no. in the Northwest. Not, not like, the really rainforesty parts, but the dry parts. Yeah. Dirt crumbles. Hillsides crumble. Yeah. And it doesn't take a lot to cover up five feet. No. But another thing that would make me believe that maybe... He wasn't intentionally trying to hoax. Like, could it have been a rock that he bought and it got slipped in with his shit and he didn't remember? Okay, maybe. But, oh. it, you know, it took him, what did you say, like three or four years to get the samples back? And it's yeah. it's not like he pointed out being like, that one there. He just, mm-hmm. it, it took someone else looking at them after several years to go, oh, actually, this piece is worth looking at more. That's a really good point. Like, he didn't say, I found this intriguing thing. Yeah. And, and try to get their attention. He basically was just like, anyway, here's a bag of crap. <laughs> Do your thing. It's like me, Enjoy. me giving you presents. I just send you a box of the most <laughs> random shit. And be like, hope you like all it. treasures. <laughs> they are. Yeah, I mean that—that's a pretty long con. You, what right? you would want to do is get the chemist in on it, and I don't think if there's any evidence of that, I feel like some of the people obsessed with finding this would have noted, like, "Hey, they already knew each other." Yeah, blah blah blah. Yeah. So it's one of those great lost treasures where people really, really want to find it. Obviously, because totally. twenty-two thousand pounds of something that. At one point was worth $100 a pound. Now is probably worth, it, it's like a million dollar rock, Shit. which is impressive. And I think the fact that it's not been turned up yet is really taken to suggest that it's on public land in some way or mm. whoever does have it isn't, you know, tuned into this stuff. So it, right. it feels like the kind of treasure you can find find the logic is both that like if you found it you could probably get rich off it somehow maybe you could make like a partnership yeah and at the very least you'd have solved that mystery much like finding forest fens treasure or whatever yeah you know? you're like i'm rich but also i did it i, I found the x on the map that right? he never drew <laughs> right i just i just want to be the best at something let me win yeah, I want to win. I want the satisfaction yes. of of solving this and resolving the question of is it real or was it not real? Yeah. And that's I understand the temptation there. Oh yeah, absolutely to just kind of close that chapter. Yeah. Yeah, to to have the the answer. The answer. To say, I, you gave me an open-ended mystery and I answered it. I love, that's so satisfying, you know, to say like, mm. oh, we found out who the Golden State Killer was. Or we resolved who did this, that, or the other. Like, you're like, yes. Right. Okay. I'm glad I lived long enough to know the answer to this. Yes. Yeah. I want to. But at least one thing 
I do think is a hoax in this. I think the guy who said it was on his property in the Salmon Mountains was probably hoaxing. Yes, thank you. Hoaxing or confused. Because if you had it, why would you not follow up? Why would you not? No, he didn't have it, Liz. I don't like him. You're a nickel miner. Like, you don't have enough money that you don't care what happens with this thing. Like, maybe he was faking it for attention. Maybe he convinced himself and then when they're like yeah send more samples he kind of woke up in the middle of the night and was like i know in my heart that this is not it no (sighs) he had bought a sample off the internet from somebody else of a thing (laughs) and he was doing it for attention and he knew he was gonna get caught and i don't like him yeah i mean we've certainly seen that in a lot of these cases where once it's known everybody wants a piece of it right right yeah do you, do you think the meteorite is real? Um, yeah. Yeah, I th- I think, A, like most of my beliefs, it's more fun to believe it than not. But I would, yes. I would really like to give him the benefit of the doubt that he actually found it, and it wasn't, A, a an intentional hoax, or B, accidentally mixed in with his personal effects. Yeah. I would take B as my runner-up guess. And the intentional hoax is my last resort. But yeah, I'd like to think that it was real. Yeah, I don't, do I don't think? think it's that implausible. The The idea that it fell and got lost and the only person who's seen it since then and noticed it at all didn't know what they were looking at. Yeah. I, I don't find that implausible at all. And no. I, I wonder if there's, like, some farmer out in the Port Orford area whose kids sled down that every winter. Totally. And because, you know, some grass grew over it or the, the topsoil shifted. Right. And they're just like, yeah, you know, that's that thing that you can't park on. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. We don't know why we can't get good Wi-Fi out here. It's weird. <laughs> it makes my feelings really hurt. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Well, let me tell you about one other Northwestern meteorite. Oh my. Okay. This is the Willamette meteorite. Okay. AKA Tomanowos. Tomanowos means the visitor from the sky. Tomanowos, according to the Clackamas people, mm-hmm. was a person who lived in the sky and he wanted to help the people who lived on Earth. So he fell to Earth. Okay. David Bowie style. Totally. And when he touched the ground, he became a rock. A massive rock that was shiny, okay. very heavy, and honeycombed with a, bu- a lot of holes in it, right? Okay. So whenever it rained, water would collect in there. And the Clackamas people over the years would go send their young men to wash in the rainwater as a way to purify themselves. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually... Well, I don't want to say it's actually as in, like, that's not right, but what this is. But in yeah. our terms, it is the largest meteorite ever found in North America. Oh, cool. And one of the, the sixth largest in the world. Big boy. It's huge. A big iron meteorite that is like, let me see how big it is. 32,000 pounds. Ooh, I don't have a concept. So, well, let me see. So it's almost all metal. It's 91% iron and 7.6%. 2% nickel, and it's 10 feet tall, 6.5 feet wide, and 4.5 feet deep. Damn. 
that's big, right? And they would go wash themselves in this. So unfortunately, over time, the Clackamas folks got moved to the Grand Ronde Reservation. Mm. And the settlement near this meteorite became the town of West Lynn. Okay. And this guy named Ellis Hughes, thank God, we're back in the, the land of names we can remember. Back in the good land of names. Who was wandering around in 1902 and he sees a big round rock <laughs> half buried in the ground. And he's like, neat, and throws a rock at it like we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Me. And instead of going clack, it goes ping. <laughs> and he's like, intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to throw a rock yeah. at that. <laughs> no, you would have put your mouth on totally. it. And he would have been like, this tastes like blood. Yeah. <laughs> it tastes weird. Ew, it's pennies. I hate it. <laughs> so in in his way in the way of the monkeys that we are at heart he's like i want it <laughs> it's probably valuable yeah but the problem is where he was wandering around was land that actually belonged to the oregon iron and steel company Ooh. so he gets his son and <laughs> at night they they wedge the thing out of its hole and roll it onto his land. Stop! Now, because this thing weighs 15 tons, it takes them three months of nights to do this. Oh, my God. Using a pulley system powered by a horse, according to Weird Oregon, which is my resource Ugh. for much of this. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yes. And then after the three months, he goes, look what I discovered. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine people were like, at the end of that long skid? Yeah, exactly. Like, did it just land? This giant <laughs> trench that looks suspiciously yeah. like a roll channel? What the yeah. fuck? Also, why are you so tired? What's going on? How many horses have you gone through this month? Oh my god. Oh yeah. my lord. So it was only three quarters of a mile that he had to move it. But yeah, it took it took three months. I'll bet it did. <sighs> so he charged tourists a quarter each to look at it. Oh my Good god. Approach. Wow. So that's what I would do. Wow. And he was like, ooh, I'm gonna sell it. I'm gonna get rich doing this. So again, this is what like that miner, that other miner would have done, mm -hmm. right? Is like mm -hmm. who taking bids now. Unfortunately, the first person who put a bid was the Oregon Iron and Steel Company. <laughs> Who offered him 50 bucks, and he's like, fuck you, 50 bucks. You know how much effort I put into, I mean, nothing? Yeah, right? Just stealing this from you? Yeah, and they sued him. Yeah. And they won. Yeah. And they got it back. And they put it on display at the Lewis and Clark Exposition in Portland. Okay. Like you do. Like you do. Then... They sold it to a private party for $26,000, and the private party donated it to the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. Okay. Which is where it still is. Oh. And that's for shit, because this is Tamanawos, yeah. right? This is somebody's what? sacred site. It's 3,000 miles away. Yeah. Put it the fuck back. What fuck is it doing over there? Yeah. Yeah. Put it the fuck back. And it made like a special journey to get where they found it too, because what they've what geologists have determined is there's no impact crater for a thing this big, which for like the uh, biggest meteorite in North America, you'd assume. Yeah. So what they think happened is it actually fell somewhere up in like the Canada Idaho border area, and that the Missoula floods brought it down. Oh, gotcha. So, like, yeah, yeah. It's a really special, special thing. 
And the confederated tribes of the Grand Ronde, which included the Clackamas, said, uh, fuck you, give it back. Totally. This is the end of the 90s, right? This is in, like, NAGPRA days. Yeah. So they filed a NAGPRA suit, which, if folks are curious about, the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. What the hell episode did we talk about that in? The one with, uh, with, uh, Kennewick Man. Oh, it was in Forest Fen's Treasure, of course. Oh, was it? Oh, God. Good for yeah, us. Yeah, because we were talking about the treasure hunt because Forest Fen is such a grave robber. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the the tribe sued and the museum refused. Yeah. But basically what they came up with is an agreement where they can perform ceremonies at the meteorite every year. And if the museum never, if the museum decides ever that it doesn't want it anymore, it will give it back to them. Okay. So that's where it is right now. It's still at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. There's two replicas, one at the University of Oregon campus in front of the Museum of Natural and Cultural History, okay. and one at the Willamette Methodist Church in Westland, well, which that's is random. interesting. Yeah. So actually, in 2007, there was a representative who introduced a resolution to demand that the museum return the meteorite. Okay. But the tribes were like, uh, thanks, but you didn't actually talk to us about this. Oh. So could you not, like, mess with what we're doing? Yeah. And we have a deal that's working for yeah. us, and we haven't asked you to to just, like be a pain in the ass. Yeah. What they said specifically is we are completely satisfied with our relationship with the museum. Yeah. Yeah. To to be honest, (laughs) if something were very important to me and I didn't need it every day, I might like Mm -hmm. a cultural institution like a hugely known, vastly funded natural history museum to Mm -hmm. take care of my very precious object not only with actual security, so against theft, but just mm-hmm. in general conservation, I I might be okay with that. Yeah, yeah. There was actually a, a chunk of the meteorite that had been traded to a private collection, I think. Okay. And they were going to, the private collection was going to auction it. And the, again, like there was an editorial in the Oregonian that was like, the confederated tribes are going to sue you if you do this. And the tribes were like, no, <laughs> we, we can't stop the sale. But although the newspaper was like, sorry, that's on us, the specimen was still withdrawn. Okay. So I'm kind of curious about what's happening with that aspect of it, where I'm like, this this is interesting, where like, everybody keeps piping up on behalf of the tribes, yeah. and the tribes keep being like, would you zip it? Right, like, right. We have a system that's working for us. So if you want to see it, like I said, it's in the Museum of Natural History in New York City, a replica at the University of Oregon, another replica at Willamette Methodist Church. Uh, that chunk that was on auction, yeah. I don't know where it is, but there's actually a tiny piece that's 4.5 ounces on display at the Evergreen Aviation and Space Museum in McMinnville. Okay. Yeah, and the tribes themselves have a replica in, it's the only exact replica in existence that was made from a 3D model produced with photogrammetry. Is that how you say that? I don't know. I don't know. That sounds amazing, though. But there was an artist, Garrick Imatani, who worked in conjunction with them, with the tribe. Yeah. They made this 3D model and put it in the Chichalu Museum at 
the confederated tribes of Grand Ronde and Grand Ronde, Oregon. Mm, And he has an interpretation on display for himself at the University of Oregon in Straub Hall. So it's been duplicated and replicated all over the place. I'm frustrated that it walked off in the hands of somebody who just wanted to, like, charge a quarter to look at it. I'm at least relieved that it didn't get dynamited into a million pieces and sold as souvenirs or turned into, like, a submarine or something. Yeah. And I, I kind of am with you where I'm like, well, if it was something where it had been important to my family or my culture or my religion. Yeah. But also it weighed 15 tons and was on the other <laughs> side of the country. <laughs> I would be like... I'll come look at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, unless you're going to send it all the way back. Like, I don't even like ordering dog food online because it's no. so heavy. Yeah. Like, I have to carry I that in the house. I mean, that'd be a great road trip movie. It's trying to lug this thing. <laughs> like, fit it under bridges and stuff. But, Dude, a man oh and his son God. did it with a horse over three months. Yeah, they well, they went a quarter mile every month. <laughs> So, you know. Oh, my God. It's a Peter Jackson Uh, film. We make it into a really long trilogy. No, it's Fitzcarraldo, and you just actually do it for real and then then tape (laughs) it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, what I want. I want to thank new patrons. Hang on. Let me pull them up. All right. So I would like to thank some of our new patrons specifically. I don't think I'm going to do last names just because I'm not sure if you're comfortable with it. But we have Melissa, and in quotes it says Tikiet. That's really cute. I don't know what it. Means. I don't know either, but that's, that's sweet. Tikiet. Tikiet. And Nick with a C. Thank you, Melissa, Tikiet, and Nick. I really appreciate your support. If folks want to get in on that, they're always welcome to go to patreon.com slash Ouijabrods. Yo. And sign up for the various levels of membership. Usually you get early ones. This one probably didn't come out very early because we're taping it Sunday morning. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. That's the life of a free Uh, podcast. I love that. Yes. Okay. So let's see. That was the patron stuff. What What were they doing before you went to yell at the dog? I don't know. You were thinking Patreon. Pa- thinking the Patreons, and then yeah. Now it's time yeah. to talk about and social media. Oh, you yeah. Would- Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We got all those. We've got WeJabrods dot com. Mm-hmm. You can rate us on Facebook, on iTunes, on Podbean, and on other stuff. If you comment on Podbean, it's actually very hard for me to see it. So I apologize if you've done that and I haven't responded. I have to actually like log yeah. into the app. I can't do it from my computer. Exactly. It's a very strange choice. I've done the same but thing. I don't feel like finding a new host. Yeah. <laughs> So you can give us our lovely five-star ratings and say nice stuff about our voices and our topics and all the cool things we do. That's also a good place to go if you want to catch up on, like, life updates and other projects and silly things. And if we were going to be in, you know, certain local area free weekly newspapers that you might want to oh. know how to grab an issue for. Oh, I'm not we? saying we are. I'm not saying we ain't. Uh, (laughs) and i also share interesting stuff and a lot of memes a lot oh my god so many yeah make sure you're subscribed so that you're getting all the updates and that's really what really what i want you to do i want you to be careful if you're out there Mm -hmm. searching for treasure or you know stealing meteorites or whatever (laughs) 
don't do that. Be safe and lift with your knees. <laughs> <laughs> Wear a helmet. Take some mm-hmm. bug spray. Yeah, bug spray, sunscreen. Hydrate. Comfortable shoes you can be in for a long time. Closed toe shoes. Yeah. You got to hydrate. You got to keep your electrolytes up. You want to bring a power bar mm-hmm. or some raisins. Mm-hmm. Always let people know where you're going. Leave a note. Not leave a note. And that's why <laughs> you always leave a note. That's why. Yeah, we're heading into the time of year when it's winter here and it's winter in the Northeast and then the rest of the country is like, hooray for fall. And I'm like, no, Montana's already ready to kill your entire ass. So that's a story I almost did was about some hunters back in the day who Montana attempted to kill their entire ass because right around, you know, late September, they're like, let's go hunting in the woods. No, girl. No. No, girl. No, girl. You in danger. You in danger, girl. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody, thank you for listening. I'm so excited to get to tell you about cool stuff. It really is a highlight of my week. Yeah. So please, from us to you, live weird. Die weird. Stay weird. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.